Before the foundation of the world, what happened? God formed a plan to redeem humanity. He foreknew that Adam and Eve were going to fall and they were going to fail, that if he created uh, human beings in his image and with the capability of the freedom of thought that we would turn from him, which we did. He foreknew that he was going to have to come to the earth, the Son of God. He was going to have to walk among us for 33 years. He would have to go to a cross. We'd go into the grave for three days. He had to believe that his father was going to raise him from the grave. It would have been so disheartening for the Son of God when he came down into the garden and forgot himself to see Adam and Eve, once covered with the glory of God, now covered with fig leaves. What a, a, an imbecilic picture that must be. I mean, this, and that's what we look like when we try to cover ourselves and we don't trust God for his forgiveness through Jesus Christ. We try to procure our own glory as it is and our own covering through human effort. We look ridiculous in the sight of men and ultimately in the sight of God. As we go through the Old Testament, we begin to realize that in the garden, the cross was preached the very first time in Genesis uh, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, where the Lord says, I'm, I'm going to have a people one day that are going to, they're going to put their re your reasonings under their feet. They're going to crush your reasoning. And it's going to be a he. He doesn't identify him, but we know it's Jesus Christ is going to come. And you're going to, you're going to bruise his feet. Actually, the, the original translation means that wound. You're going to strike him in the feet. You're going to stop his journey as you see it. But ultimately, he's going to tread upon you. He's going to bruise your head. And he's going to step upon your reasoning that you have sowed into the human race that without God, we can be godly. By, strictly by force of human will, we can be godly. And how many people have tried and failed in that for so many thousands of years? And eventually, God drew to himself a man called Abraham, through whom the promise to have a people was going to be fulfilled. Now, when the tree of life was lost in the Old Testament, you see this incredible moment from the Garden of Eden where there's, there's this incredible promise of life. It is forfeited by Adam and Eve thinking they can live outside of the parameters of God's word and somehow still be godly. That in themselves they can become judges of what's good and what's evil. And when the tree of life is lost, you see this split. It's like it splits into two lines going all the way through the Old Testament. That's why a lot of people have trouble understanding the Old Testament because it seems to have two messages traveling through it. And indeed, actually it does. The top thread is a message of mercy and grace that God says, I'm going to have a people. And these people are going to be brought to a place where they're going to, they're going to be given power over your reasoning that you have sown into their hearts. Now, so that's the thread of grace. And you see it through Abraham. You see it through the covenant with David. You see it all the way through. A lot of the major prophets spoke about it. A lot of the minor prophets spoke about it. I, if I had time, we could unpackage this. And you'd be shouting even before we get to the New Testament when you begin to see it. I mean, there's just so much. Let me just share one with you about it. Isaiah 55. Listen to, every once in a while, it just pops out of the Old Testament. Now, ho, he says, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your wages for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Here and your soul shall live, and I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I've given him as a witness to the people 
a leader and commander for the people. And surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. God is suddenly just shouting in the midst of all of the things Isaiah had to say, then this sudden burst of God comes out of him saying, there's something coming. There's, there's going to be a, a provision given that you don't have to work to get it. You don't, you don't have to labor for that which doesn't satisfy. It's going to come freely from God. And God is going to do something in you so profound and so powerful that people from all nations, we know it's the church. We know he's talking about the church. People from all nations are going to run to you, not just physical Israel one day. This, this prophecy will be fulfilled in the physical nation of Israel. But till that day, it's being fulfilled through the church of Jesus Christ. And people from all over the, the world will run to you. What happened on the day of Pentecost? when 120 former failures burst out of that prayer room and they, they went into the public and they started to speak about, in the Greek it says the megalios of God. They weren't babbling like idiots and behaving like fools. They were actually talking in languages that people understood from all the nations. What, what was the promise through Isaiah? All the nations will come running to you when they see what God is going to do in your life. They're speaking about, it means the anticipated outworkings of the inner presence of God. They were standing there speaking in known languages that they had never learned. And they were speaking about the things that God has done, God is doing, and God is going to do. They were walking in total unison with God. And as they began to do it, the prophecy given through Isaiah is fulfilled. As people from nations under heaven that were gathered at Jerusalem at that time began running towards them, and 3,000 that day bent their knee to God. So God draws this man Abraham to himself, and he promises that through him, the whole world is going to be blessed. Isn't it amazing? The whole world, Africa, India, Central America, South, the whole world is going to be blessed through this man. Could you imagine being him? Come on now, you're 75, he's five years older than me. Can you imagine being given a promise like that, that I'm going to do something so powerful through you that the, the whole of the known world is going to be blessed? The families, and he said, go outside, look at the stars. And your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars, and they're going to be, of course, given as signs and wonders and lights in the heavens. As Jesus said, you are the light of the world. God told Abraham, when Abraham said, how is this going to happen? He said, I'm going to show you how it's going to happen. He said, you take a heifer and a ram and a, and a, a goat or whatever it was, of all of three years old, divide them in the middle and, uh, and make a pathway. And Abraham would have understood what a covenant was back then. God says, you stay on the side and you just taste the birds away. That's your, that's your whole thing, you know. The birds will come to devour this great truth you're about to see, but I'm going to do something. And so at, at, at midnight when it was dark, it says a, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp and the sacrifice. God, in a sense, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, with God the Son as, as a type of the sacrifice, God walks through the middle of this covenant and saying, like, may I be as these, as these slain animals as it is if I fail to fulfill my promise to you, Abraham, that through you, I'm going to bless you. It's going to be a supernatural blessing. It's not going to be natural. It's not produced by human effort, by human reasoning, by human plans. It doesn't come out of committee rooms. It's going to be done supernaturally by God himself. Did you know this morning that you are a supernatural person? Do you, do you have any idea that you have the third person of the Godhead living in your body? Did you know you are the temple of God's Holy Spirit? You don't have just a fuzzy feeling about God. 
You don't have just theology about God. You have the actual third person of the Godhead who has taken up residence inside your earthly body. We are a supernatural people. We, are not, we never were ever called to walk in the natural. We're called to believe God and to walk with him, walk in unison cooperation with God and let God do, as we heard last night from Brother Ron Brown, let God do what he desires to do in each one of our lives. And what a journey it is when we finally come to this place of understanding. God said to Abraham, I'm going to do this. You chase the birds away. You know, you gotta, that's your job now. You gotta chase the birds away, you understand? The devil comes down, he wants to devour this incredible truth out of your life and, and bring you back into being a natural person. You know, a person that you just think that through reading more, you get more favor with God. It's a good thing to read more. Or through praying more, that somehow you're more holy than the next guy beside you, and you're not. But praying is still a good thing. It's not by human effort that any of this is going to happen. Now, the promise goes all the way through the Old Testament. And of course, as we shared yesterday, God brings a set of laws in. So the de descendants of Abraham will still think that through human effort we can be, we can be good. And we, we went through that yesterday. 600 plus laws, and every time you broke one, you broke them all. Which proves you're, you can't be as God is in yourself, so you have to go back and get cleansed up again. Sounds like the old time Pentecost. Sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, right? I'm sorry to have to say that, but a lot of places are actually like that. A lot of churches are like that. The people of God are brought in every week to say, what new bad thing have you done this week? Let's point out some new sin in your life and so you can get saved again. The stupidity of it is mind-boggling. <laughs> then we come to the final message of the Old Testament, and that's where I'm going to start again before we go forward. John the Baptist, the exclamation point on this whole religious system, implemented by God for the very reason of teaching us we couldn't do it. We needed a Savior, leading to the coming of the Christ. So John the Baptist, I'm going to go from Luke, Luke's version today. In chapter uh, 3, it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, beginning at uh, verse, uh, he went into, verse 3, He went into all the region around Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low. Is there any way we can slow that clock down? I've only got 35 minutes. <laughs> can we just bring it down so it goes a little slower, that's all. Then he said to the multitudes who came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Or, or you who still think that you can be righteous through human effort, you who can't hear the voice or the words of God, you who are led by your own tongues and your own reasoning, who, who was it then that warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, he says, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, if... if for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So this is the capstone now on the whole of the Old Testament, an old covenant, may I call it that, system. He says, okay, you, you're you started with fig leaves. Now you've got these really wonderful righteous robes, and you've got stones and stuff all over them, and you've got boxes on your forehead and prayer beads and all the rest that goes with it. But if you have succeeded in producing the fruit of God through human effort, then bring evidence. And if you can't, 
get ready to be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's quite a message, isn't it? Bear fruit or burn. I think David Wilkinson preached a message called that one time. And so John says, I say that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. In other words, what God was promising through Abraham is supernatural. It's God that does it. It's not human effort that does it. It's not by doing more, reading more, trying harder, pulling up your bootstraps, doing your best to be a good person and producing the fruit that only God is able to produce in our lives. And I love the fact that when John, in the Gospel of John, but when John the Baptist is baptizing, and when people finally came to the end, and that's what John's baptism was about, an admission, I'm not holy. I've covered, I've covered it all up with nice robes and stuff, but I, I can't produce the fruit of God. And they go down in the waters of baptism, which is a, it's almost, it speaks to me, at least, of almost a moment of despair. I might put it that way. I'm done trying. This whole system doesn't work. I, I can't produce the fruit of God in my life by my own initiative and my own strength. Try as I may. If you think you're holy, sir, just ask your wife when you get home. She'll straighten you out right away, <laughs> tell you what you really are. I can't produce. So it's a desperation. It's just going down into the water. But there, there was really no solution behind it. Do you understand? John's baptism didn't really have a solution per se. You went down into the waters and it was a type of death. I'm done. I'm finished. I can't. And it was at that moment that John says, behold the Lamb of God. And it was at that moment in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 to 22, it says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son, and you who I am well pleased. So we're seeing the very same thing that happened to Abraham in Genesis 15, 17. We're seeing God making a covenant promise with himself to redeem us from our condition, to redeem those who had gone into the waters of baptism saying, I'm done. I'm finished. I can't do this. I'm tired, as I shared last night in the altar call or yesterday, I'm just tired of trying to be holy in my own strength. I'm tired of the hypocrisy. I'm tired of the whole system. I'm tired of sin, confess, sin, confess. I'm tired of, of always being open to the voice of the condemner. I'm tired of starting my day with hope and finishing it with condemnation. I'm done with this. And when we get to that point, David Wilkerson once told me, it's only the sin-sick person that can truly understand the new covenant. It's the person who comes to that water of baptism and says, I'm, I'm finished. I'm, fi I'm no longer going to pray, God, I thank you. I'm not like other people are. I am like other people are. I am like every rotten sinner that's in this hall. I'm exactly the same as everybody else. I have the same capability to do the same foolish things, and I can't be holy in my own strength, so I give up. I'm tired. I'm done with this thing. And then suddenly, behold the Lamb of God. Suddenly. It's amazing. Just this ordinary man comes walking in. He doesn't come down as a 10-foot giant. Just an ordinary man. Isaiah said in chapter 53, who has believed our report? Our, I like the fact that he calls it our report. God, your report and mine. Who has believed our report? There's no form. There's no comeliness. There's no beauty that we should desire him. He is almighty God, but he comes down in ordinary human form. But he is the Lamb of God. He is the sacrifice of God to pay the price for all the sin that I have committed. This new covenant would take the Son of God to a cross where God through Jesus Christ would forever destroy the poison that Satan had infused into the minds of Adam 
and his descendants. You know, it's, it's an amazing strategy the devil had. I'm an ex-cop, right? So I, I see things like this. I just do. It's, a, it's a, actually quite a brilliant strategy. He sowed in the human race that they could be God, godly without God, and then uses that thing that he sowed as the basis for his accusations against those created in the image of God, because he knew, he knew. He knew they couldn't do it. He knew none of us could do it. And so when we're trying to do it, our hearts are now open to the voice of the condemner. Finally, through the cross, we would be free from trying to be godly and holy in our own strength. Oh, Jesus. Thank you. I could stop right now and just dance all over this place and shout. God, ask me how I know. I burned out at 37 trying to be holy, trying to serve God in my own strength. Traveling north, south, east, west. I preached to Eskimos. I preached to Indians on reservations. I went everywhere. I like Johnny Cash. I've been everywhere, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a Christian version of that song and name all the places that I've been. I've been everywhere, done everything, only to come down in a heap in the midst of a gravel road out in the country, angry with God. Just God, what have you done to me? I've, I've, I've done everything to be holy. I've done everything to serve you, and, and. Uh, it's so funny. I, he, I, I went away. I, 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 I came to the point of saying to my wife that Jesus that I'm preaching is, is deficient. I don't, is, I don't believe Jesus is, but the Jesus I preach is. And I went away to fast and pray for three days, and I came home with a message that I didn't even understand. It was called The Shout of a King. And it was amazing. I, I said, God, I was so disappointed. I said, I, I've gone away for three days. I've gone down personally into the waters of baptism. I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this. And uh, I'm not even going to try anymore. I'm just done with this whole thing. And I go away and I come back with a message that I don't even understand. And it's, it's about the, the people of God coming around the mountain. And you remember Balak, the king of Moab, and he hires Balaam to curse them, the spiritists. And, 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 and one of the things, he, he looks from different vantage points trying to curse the people of God. Now, coming around the corner, they have complained, they have murmured, they've been bitten by snakes, their leader's not going into the promised land. This is a pack of failures, man. They are total failures. I wish I had time to go through the whole list of whatever. They've built a calf, they've done all this stuff. They're just a total mess. The only thing they've got going for them is every time a line was drawn in the sand and somebody said, who's on the Lord's side? These are the people that crossed the line. And that's it. They have nothing else going for them. And so Balaam, the Spirit of God, overrides this spiritist and he, and he says, I see no iniquity in Jacob. <laughs> is, it, is it appropriate to say holy smokes? I say that a lot, holy smokes. How is that possible? I see no iniquity. That's the Spirit of God overriding this man. I, I, I hear in the midst of Jacob the shout of a king. Now, there was no king at that time. Israel didn't have a king. Who's the king and what's he shouting? And as I began to pray, God spoke to my heart and said, the king is the one who went to a cross and shouted, it is finished. It is finished. That's the king. I see no iniquity. So I come to New York City and well, I was praying about preaching one night, and the Lord said, I want you to preach that message. And I was brand new to Times Square Church, and I was thinking, oh, God, I don't even fully understand it myself. But, oh, Lord, I really battled with it. I, I, what's David Wilkerson going to think? You know, I mean, realistically, he, was, he was, had a reputation of being quite stern. And I, I thought, I'm brand new here. Do I have to, like, commit suicide, spiritual suicide, like, right so soon? And... <laughs> 
But anyways, I did get up, and in obedience to God, I preached the message, the shout of a king. <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 and I'm looking out the corner of my eye. I'm trying to get a re- I'm just saying, like, am I taught here, or what's, you know, am I finished? And as I began to preach it, the people started standing up. They started shouting in the church. It was amazing. And so when I was done, I kind of closed my Bible, and I head over. David Wilkerson stands up, and he points his finger in my chest, and he goes, that's life. You just preach life. Now, to the people in the audience, it looked like, if you ever preach something like that again, you're out on the street. (laughs) And that's what I was thinking when he said, that's life. That's life. I had no idea he had a promise that God had given him as a young minister that if you walk before me, before you die, I will show you my covenant. I had no idea that that was his own personal promise. And, And I'm talking about this covenant that God has made with us where we're declared righteous, not by what we have done, but according to what he has done. Now, Isaiah 42. Now, beginning at one, I'm going to try to show you this covenant before the foundation of the world. As as Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 18 to 20, that it was foreordained before the creation of the world. So now go with me back to pre-creation. May I put it that way? Before the world is created, before humankind is created in the image of God, God is having a conversation with himself. Isaiah chapter 42 says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. This is a messianic passage of scripture from Isaiah. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastland shall wait for his law. Thus says the Lord God, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. And will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. As a light to the Gentiles. To open blind eyes. To bring out prisoners from the prison. And those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Remember when Jesus stood in the temple and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me for these reasons. And these are the reasons identifying himself in a sense as the the person that this is actually speaking about, not only here, but in other places in the Old Testament as well. So this is what it looked like. I'll try to role play it for you to make it simple. But before creation, God the Father said to his son, I'm, we're going to create humankind in our image, and they're going to fail, and they will need to be redeemed. A price in blood will have to be paid for their failure in order to bring them back home to us to spend eternity with them. Remember who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, son, he said, I'm going to send, you're going to have to go down to the earth and for 33 years, you're going to walk among them. I promise that I'm going to hold your hand the whole time. I won't fail you. I won't forsake you. You're going to go to a cross and you're going to die on that cross to pay the price and you're going to suffer the full wrath of your father, of God, the father for the sin of humankind. You're going to go into the grave for three days. You're going to have to trust me, son. 
you're going to have to commit your spirit into my hands, that I will raise you again from the grave on the third day. And after you're raised from the dead, I'm going to bring you back home, and I'm going to sit you down at my right hand. All power, all authority, every name that is named in this world and in the world to come, everything, angels, everything will be in subjection to you. You will be an absolute all power and authority. You'll be sitting at my right hand. Son, I promise you that if you will do this and you will pay the price for their sin, you will sit at my right hand with all power and authority and you have to trust that I'm going to raise you from the dead. And Jesus Christ said to his father, Father, I'll go. I will agree. It, it will be not easy. You know, the, the idea of, of suffering the wrath of God and being separated in, in some sense from his father was just so we don't fully comprehend what actually happened on the cross. It was deeper than we can understand. But he said, Father, I'll go, but I have one request of you in this covenant that we're making today with each other. My request of you is that when you raise me from the dead and you sit me at the right hand of all power and all authority, that those who trust in me, that everything I get, they get. They get to sit with me where I am in total victory. They get to be more than conquerors through the sacrifice on the cross that I'm about to make for them. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. If you have time to go into John 17, I don't for, for constraint, but in John 17 we see that prayer that Jesus prayed to his Father that really just unlocks the covenant that was made before the foundation of the world one of the key statements is in chapter 17, verse 24. I pray, Father, that those who trust in me, those you've given me, be with me where I am. You're going to bring me home. I'm going to be sitting in power and authority. And I'm going to be the head, and they're going to be my body. Now, in John chapter 19, and verse 30, that's where Jesus cried, It is finished. It is finished. The redemption of humankind is done. It is, the price has been paid once. Nobody has to go into the Holy of Holies any, once a year anymore. No more bringing lambs, no more bringing goats, no more living under condemnation every day. It is finished once and for all. The price is paid. The price is paid forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You know, the Bible says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That would be blasphemy if that were not written in the Bible. I'm telling you straight out. You know what that means? I'm as clean as God is because of Jesus Christ. It's as if I have never sinned. Thank God. With all my failures and my warp and my woof and my struggles and all the stuff that goes on in my mind and every other place, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Then suddenly the scripture comes into view that I've given you the righteousness you have, therefore you have the right to condemn every tongue that rises against you in judgment. You can condemn that tongue. You don't have to listen to it anymore. The condemner has no access to you because you're not trying to be holy in your own strength. You're not trying to redeem yourself in your own strength. You have come to the cross and by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you've been embraced covered, empowered, and brought into the family of God. And now you sit at the right hand of God. <coughs> I don't have time to go there, so I'm going to have to paraphrase a lot of scripture. <clears throat> but in Matthew 27, it says when, when Jesus finally cries out, that, that last cry from the cross says the veil was rent that separated humankind from God. And the earth shook 
And even the dead <laughs> were raised, where it started coming out of their graves right at that moment. And you know, a lot of people, I've preached it this way for years, and there's a measure of truth to it. It said when the veil was torn, it gave access to all of us now into the Holy of Holies where God is. And, and it's true. But I don't, believe that. I don't believe that's the fullness of this. I believe that the veil was torn from the inside out. It was God wanting to get out from behind the curtain. It was God <laughs> wanting to come to us. Come on now, come on. Come on. The veil is torn. Rocks are, he doesn't even go around them. He goes through the rocks to get to us. And as he passes by the graveyard, the dead start rising all over the place. Come on, it's God coming out from behind the curtain. It's God saying, I've so longed to come down again into the garden in the cool of the day and talk to Adam and talk to Eve and talk to their children. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. It's that incredible passion in the heart of God for your soul and for mine that brought him out from behind the veil, hallelujah, hallelujah. Paul the apostle says in Ephesians chapter one, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named. He's above depression. He's above discouragement. He's above drugs. He's above alcohol. He's above the perversion in our present generation not only in this age, but in that which is to come. And he's put everything under his feet. Remember the promise. You will bruise his feet, but he will bruise your head. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Christ is sitting with all authority, all power. And we sit now, chapter two, verse four, says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I am at the right hand of God right now in Christ Jesus, fully accepted, fully loved, can't add to it, can't add to it. I can read my Bible till I'm blue in the face. It does, it's a good thing, but I can't add to God's acceptance of me. I can't add to his love. I'm fully loved, fully forgiven, fully embraced, fully in God, fully at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me. I'm already seated in Christ in heavenly places. And Romans 8, Paul says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will quicken our mortal bodies. The same spirit will bring us alive from the dead again, from being spiritually dead, and bring us into a new place in Christ. Colossians 2.10 says, you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. As I said yesterday, when the head crossed the line, the body won the race. Hallelujah to God. <laughs> you can't, you, I mean, if your head detaches from your body in a race, you've lost. I mean, you've lost, your race is done. You cannot sever the head from the body. I, I am part of the body of Christ and so are you. So we are now more than conquerors. 
We are now in Christ at the right hand of God. So now, the question is, what about my struggles? You know, the Puritan writers understood this, the concept of, it's called standing in state. You know, my, 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 my state is that I am Carter Conlon living in this unfortunate garbage can of a body that always wants to fight against the things of God. That's just the reality of it. That's theologically correct, by the way. I can prove that. And, <laughs> So I'm in total victory at the reign of God, but I live, this resurrected spirit lives in this garbage can called Carter Conlon. One day I will be delivered from the, 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 this body, thank God. No more sighing. If you're gonna sigh, get it all, done, get it all out here now, because you can't sigh up there. No more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain. The former things are gone, all brand new bodies. Who's gonna be happy you're gonna have a brand new body up there? Praise God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. So how does this work then? Macintosh, one of the, the writers that I enjoy, said it this way, because this truth was not hidden from the Puritan writers. They knew it, and many, many before. You go into the founding doctrines uh, of a lot of uh, church organizations and denominations, and this truth is actually in it. It's, it's as Pastor Tim once said, the book got lost in the house somewhere. In what we were trying to build this house, and we lost the book. And, we, you know, I, I want to get a T-shirt made that says, uh, when all else fails, read the instructions. <laughs> it's good for guys. Guys need that, you know. <laughs> I, my, son, my son bought a boat lift. And uh, there's f four of us. Brad was there. Brad, one of the pastors of our campus churches, is traveling with me and some others. And, 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 of course, as guys, nobody reads the instructions. We know how to put a boat lift together. And so we finished putting this boat lift together, and we had a whole big Ziploc bag full of bolts, and one of them was about that long. And my son says, oh, Dad, they always send extras. That's no problem. <laughs> I said, but that thing's got to hold up like 2,800 pounds. I mean, you, you just, anyhow, so far it hasn't collapsed on us, but I've still got the bag of bolts. So the third part of the new covenant is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it this way. I'm going to show it to you in John chapter 16, verses 13. Let's start at verse 12. He said, I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. That's not like prophecy about America or the next election and stuff like that. It's about you. You'd start opening the Bible, and, and uh, Brother Ron said that last night. Suddenly something pops, and what it is is God showing you some, something to come, things to come, things that you are not that God's going to make you into, things you can't do that he says, I'll do it through you. He will show, the Spirit will show you things to come. He, he will work in conjunction with his word and quicken things to your heart. He will glorify me, Jesus said, for he will take of what is mine, remember the victory, absolute authority, and he will declare it to you as his body. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said he will take of mine and he will declare it to you. That, isn't that what happened on the day of Pentecost? He took the, the Holy Spirit took the victory that had been won by Christ and declared it to 120 failures in an upper room. And they burst out of that upper room confronting a society that is, is, is totally not in favor of the Messiah at that time, but through 120 failures that God was showing them things to come the whole known world eventually was changed. 
The good news of the cross is that you and I no longer have to make promises to God, but we're saved by God's promises to us. Oh, Jesus, and we live by God's promises to us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Praise be to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm trying to go real fast here because my time is running out. Verses 14 to 18 says, but their minds were blinded. These are the people who are still under the law. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. In other words, even to this day, when people are trying to be righteous through human effort, the cross is hidden. It's a historical fact, but the power of it is not ever fully understood or realized. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The Lord is the Spirit, verse 17, and where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is liberty. Another word, a better word for that is generosity. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, this incredible generosity of God, which brings freedom, starts to be made known. But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. Not by human effort, not by works of righteousness that we have done. As we behold the victory of Christ, as we study the victory of Christ, as we pray and say, God, reveal to me the victory of Christ. As we start pondering the victory of Christ, the Spirit of God begins to transform us image to image and glory to glory. By the Spirit of Almighty God, He starts making the promises of God a reality in each one of our lives. He transforms us from the inside out. He makes us into what we could never hope to be, takes us where we could never hope to go, and gives us what we could never hope to possess, that all glory belongs to Him. It all goes back to Him. This is the key of a victorious church in the last days. A church where our message will become just like the angels. This is good news, and it should bring great joy to all people. This is wonderful news. Let me tell you what God has done for me. Let me tell you what God is doing in my life. Let me tell you where God is taking me. Let me tell you what God can do for you. This is a place of victory. This is a place of incredible joy. It's a place that God desires all of his people to go to. And when we understand it, we begin to worship with the angels. We start start busting through that canopy that separates heaven from the earth. We start pressing in and, and we don't know what else to do but just shout glory. We don't know what else to do. That's why I just, you know, like, it's wonderful to see new believers before the church has had a chance to ruin them. It's, it's wonderful to see <laughs> because they're all just about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus and they're winning everybody to Jesus. They're talking about Jesus. They, they know this instinctively until we get a chance to tell them, no, you got to read more, pray more, do more, try harder. And suddenly, there was with the angel, and the another word for angel is what? Pastor. Suddenly, there was a pastor, a multitude. You want your church to grow? (laughs) Like, get on fire. (laughs) Get on. Come on now. Just just stir the gift. Just rekindle the love that you once had for God. Bring it back to its simplicity. 
You know, unless you become as a little child, Jesus said, you won't understand the workings of the kingdom of God. That's what it means when he says you, you can't perceive the kingdom of God unless you become as a child. Jesus loves me. This I know. I, love, I don't know who it was. Pastor Tim knows all these details. He studies this all the time. I don't know. But it was some guy somewhere at some time, some, a great theologian. They said to him, what's the greatest thing, truth you ever learned in all your study of the Bible and all your study of Greek and Hebrew and languages? And without hesitation, he said, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Keep it simple, folks. Keep it simple. You want to keep your, your love for God? Keep it simple. Keep it focused on Christ. Keep it focused on the promise of God, the power of God, the goodness of God, the glory of God, the grace of God. Hallelujah. Now, I, when I pray now, I'm not praying to some God off in the cosmos, some smoke created by a little machine in church. You know, I'm not praying off to this, this, this God in the cosmos. I'm, I, I, I'm already at the right hand of God. And I, I'm, already, I'm just talking to him through Jesus Christ. And, and I'm looking back at myself on planet Earth and saying, come on, Carter, you can do this by the strength of God. Don't give up now. I'm, I'm in two places at the same time. Do you get this? I'm at the right hand of God in Christ, but I live on planet Earth and say, come on, God's going to keep you. God's going to be good to you. God's going to give you the grace and the strength that you need to finish this journey. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Praise be to God.